See, my, my default was always revised basics for that sideways T just to put people on tilt. <laughs> You're the worst. I love it. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster whose article series takes you from 60 to 100, it's Matt Morgan. Still politely requesting to be called the talent, but we'll take it. Never in a million years, Matt. Next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach. The, the talent adjacent Dana Roach. The talented Jason Dana Roach, that we can do. And I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All of these articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC is a fantastic deck building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the EDHREC cast, we're going to give all that data a little more context. What's our topic this week, fellas? We've got the pre-con history lessons. Yeah, we're going to be doing a pre-con review and probably ranking our favorites of each year's worth of pre-cons. But we've also got one more thing, too. As you guys are no doubt aware, this is the preview season for Commander 18. And guess what? What? We've got a preview card. What? We've got a preview card. It better be a good one. Are you excited? Does this mean we're a real boy now? Are we a real podcast? (laughs) We might be a real podcast now. Yeah, we have a preview card for Commander 2018, and I'm really excited to share it. And Dana, as I understand, you actually also have a preview card for your other podcast, CMDR Central. I do, and it's coming out the same day as this one, so um, it may be from the same deck. And by maybe, I mean it definitely is from the same deck. Uh, Well, I don't think you can tell us too much about that (laughs) now, so you're definitely going to have to go listen to CMDR Central to hear about the other preview card. I'm excited to hear that, too. For the deck that you are referencing, though, as we know, there are four different decks coming up in Commander 2018, and they each have a different theme, which, just by the sounds of it, makes Commander 2018 seem really exciting to me. So far, we know that there will be a Jund Lands deck, an Esper Miracles deck, an Izzet Artifacts deck, and Bont Enchantress, which our preview card happens to come from. I like this. Um, I was kind of expecting them to do what they did last year, where they like picked a theme and then did you know, variants on that theme. So last year they did tribal and we had four different tribal decks, but they're, they're just picking like five or four random themes and building four different thematic decks. I, I like that a lot. I, I, I was expecting something more cohesive, but this gives them a lot of room to play. And I would guess this might be the kind of thing going forward where we just see decks that have a, you know, theme, but aren't locked to colors or aren't locked to one thing that maybe stretches them a little bit tight across the entire set. Yeah, the theme of these decks definitely seems to be stuff we've always wanted. Yeah, right. Yeah, I was I was thinking when I first saw the list of all the different themes and what the decks are doing in those color schemes, I was thinking it's probably the most stereotypical, sounds harsh, but I mean it in a good way, like it's the most default strategy you can go to in those colors. Like Jund Lands, you have like Life from the Loam and you have Ruination and you have all sorts of different ways to interact with lands. Then you have Enchantments. Which, I mean, Bant is probably one of the best enchantment, you know, color schemes if you want to just churn out all those. You have Derevi, who's probably one of the top, you know, Aura-themed commanders. Then you have Esper, who has all those different ways to, you know, draw cards and look at the top of the deck and manipulate everything. And then you have Blue-Red Artifacts, which just, 
every casual loves blue red artifacts. You know, everybody talked about how Joyer was the the blue red artifact commander everybody has been waiting for, and we debated that a little bit here on the cast. But you know, it's just those those very very on theme with those colors, and it's I I'm very excited about what they're doing. For the record, I don't think it's just casual players who are excited about is it artifacts. I don't consider myself a casual player, and is it artifacts sounds amazing to me. And like you mentioned, Joyra. It definitely had some synergies with artifacts, but it didn't feel like it was quite there for me. Just drawing cards, I was looking for something a little more exciting. And now we know that we're getting a deck that has not just one commander, but probably three new commanders that will all revolve around artifice in some way in Is It Colors. I mean, no matter what level of playstyle you're at, I think that just sounds fantastic. And like you mentioned, like we've had things in the past that kind of hit these themes, but not nearly this specifically. There's land commanders that are good, like Gitrog Monster or... Angry Omnath, Ramina and Den in co- colors that are in Jund, but nothing that's specifically Jund alone. So, like, there's it's difficult to build a landfall commander using a Jund commander. There's variants on it, but nothing in Jund. There's things to do like a Miracles kind of deck, whether it's, you know, a white blue or a blue black, or but there's nothing really particularly in Esper that cares about that. So, this kind of fills that void. People have wanted the, the Is It Artifacts commander forever. Nothing really does that. There's plenty of Enchantress options, but nothing in Bant that's really specifically into being an Enchantress. So so it's colors that have those things, but it's the specific configuration are things that we've missed out on really dedicated, solid commanders for. Yeah, I, I very much agree with that point, Dana. Just people have kind of had to do it ad hoc and make it up and use subpar, com- subpar commanders to fill the role of that theme. And now we're getting commanders on theme uh which i think is is this probably you know every year the the pre-con decks they get more and more popular i think this will continue that trend and be more popular than commander 2017 which does have some downsides at least if you're donald miner the creator of edh rec he in his deck building process he's confessed to us that he has a certain uh shall we call it a hipster factor that attracts him to certain types of decks. For example, one of his most famous is a uh, mono-black Olero Ageless Aesthetic, which is an Esper commander, but he only runs black cards in the deck. Or he's got a Tanawa deck, which phases out your lands. It's a weird mono-blue deck. Like, he runs decks with a certain, huh, factor to them. I think you'd prefer to call it a certain panache to them. Sure, that's a much better way to phrase it, absolutely. (laughs) But Enchantress is one of his favorite styles, and now that we have a Bont Enchantress deck coming up, he's a little like, "Uh uh-oh, my hipster factor has gone down on Enchantress, what will I do? And I I I think he's just excited to... Yeah, I think he's excited too, but I kind of have the same thought a little bit, because I have a landfall deck, uh, I mean a dead landfall deck, and I'm like, oh man, I hope it just isn't kind of rendered obsolete by whatever the Jund build here is. And I have a Sagarda Enchantress deck, and I'm like, if this Bant Enchantress deck winds up being significantly better or more interesting, does that then render my deck, you know, obsolete, or do I have to upgrade to to this Enchantress? So I, I I'm not maybe entirely tied to that, but I, I kind of feel his pain. And I can definitely see that fear as well. As we've noted on one of our previous episodes, we can see that frequently the precon commanders become the most popular what is it something like 15 of the top 20 commanders are all from precons like they can definitely i guess squash some of the uh, the other more niche commanders out of the way when they come out with something that is so perfect for a specific strategy so i definitely do understand that fear 
But that doesn't make me any less excited for this upcoming product. I think it's going to be sweet. These themes are things that I've wanted to see for a really long time. So even if they're maybe a little too good at what they do, at least we finally got them. Right. Yeah, for sure. Well, we can talk all we want about the different uh, hipster factors to some of these, but let's not keep people in suspense for too much longer. How about we talk about the actual preview card that we've got here? Let's give people some hints about it first. We don't want to just go right out the gate with it. So let's maybe see if they can guess. Because that sounds fun. Let's do it. Um, I'm in. We do have a lot of stats to use, so we may as well you know, take advantage of it. Exactly. So that is, I think, the first hint that we can run out the gate here with. This card is a reprint. First clue. That doesn't clarify very much. There's tens of thousands <laughs> of magic cards. Well, how about this? It's exactly. Had, it's had two previous printings. One in the original set it was in, and then it was reprinted in a dual deck. Oh, interesting. Can you tell us which dual deck, or will that give away too much info? Um, well, I, I will say this, this dual deck is the deck where I discovered the card even existed. So I had an Enchantress deck at the point at that point in time, which was my Sigarda deck, which I still have. And when this dual deck came out, it's a Theros block dual deck. So that should tell you which one it was. That was the first time I had seen this, this particular card. So I immediately put it in my Enchantress deck. So if that tells you anything, it's a Theros era dual deck that contained this card that is a natural fit for an Enchantress build. Mm-hmm. And, it, and and the first printing was old enough that at the time, I wasn't aware that it was a card. Matt, what's another hint? Well, I'm going to give you guys the signature card. So when you look at the site and you have the signature cards, there's a little synergy score. It'll show you, you know, this card is in X percent of this many decks that the card is showing up in. And then there's that synergy score, which kind of basically tells you how unique it is to that certain card over every other eligible deck. So say, you know, an Enchantress-centric card like this, uh, it's going to have a high synergy score with a lot of different enchantments, probably, uh, commanders that deal with enchantments, as opposed to just general white cards that just are good in, you know, in every deck ever. So one of the signature cards, the top signature card, actually, is going to be Ethereal Armor. It shows up in 62% of decks that this card is played in, which is a plus 60% synergy score. So that means that 62 to 60% white decks on average, only 2% of decks are playing ethereal armor. So that synergy score comes out from those numbers. This card has a good synergy interaction with a one drop aura. Is that what you're telling us? That's what I'm telling you. Yes. A common. So, so far we know it's a reprint from the Enchantress deck that definitely synergizes well with Ethereal Armor. Should I give you guys the top creature? How about that? I can give sure. you the top. Yeah. I can give you the top What's creature. the top commander that plays this one? The top commander, huh? Well, the top mm-hmm. commander is a certain angel. It's not Sagarda, though, but it's Bruna Light of Alabaster is the top played commander. Not by much, though. So for people who don't know, Bruno Light of Alabaster is six mana, three white, white, blue for a five, five flying vigilance that says whenever she attacks or blocks, you attach any number of auras on the battlefield and from your hand and graveyard onto Bruna, which is definitely really cool. And I actually think synergizes really well with this particular reprint card that we've got. Very much. If that gives people another hint, I don't know. I'll give I'll give you another hint. I'll give you the next played commander because it's pretty tight. It's 543... Uh, Bruna decks that play this card. 535 Ural the Miststalker decks play this card. Right, so Ural the Miststalker is the Naya commander. He's a 5-mana 5-5 beast that has natural hexproof and gets plus 2, plus 2 for each aura attached to it. So we're definitely getting close. 
So we've what's got the, a Naya what's Commander. The CMC, what's the CMC of this card, Matt? Oh, you're asking me my favorite part of this card, huh? <laughs> so this card is a sorcery, I'll give you that much, that costs okay. five mana. In, in, a five in, mana in sorcery. you're a fan of a sorcery costing five mana, I, I feel am, like we've discussed this before. Oh, I, but several times we've discussed this before. Yeah, I seem to recall you talking about things like Hollowed Burial and Fumigate. You seem to have a, a really big affinity for those five mana sorceries, huh? I love five mana sorceries, especially when they do something in common that just cleans up the board, gets everything out of the way for you. Oh, what are those cards called? I think they're called Wrath Effects. Does that sound right? That that does think, sound right, actually. I feel like this might be some kind of a Wrath Effect. Um, how do you spell Wrath? Well, usually you'd have the W-R-A-T-H, but in this particular case, we don't need the other W, right? What? We'd, put that, we'd move that way over to the beginning. Why? That we have. Why? Matt, go ahead and tell us about our preview card. So our preview card, everybody, is Winds of Wrath, which is a... Five mana sorcery, three white, white. Destroy all creatures that are not enchanted. They cannot be regenerated. Another one of those five mana wraths with upside. Yep, and we know Matt loves those. It was first printed way back in Tempest, and as I said, it had a reprinting in the Heroes vs. Monsters dual deck back in Theros. Awesome. And this is definitely, I mean, in that Enchantress deck, this sounds right on the money. This is probably going to be a Plague Wind in some cases, right? When you play it in a Bruno deck or in a Ural deck, it's just destroying everything but your stuff, which sounds awesome. It's currently showing up in 3,328 decks. So, you know, not too much play compared to some of the other Wrath effects that we've got. But in the right deck, this thing's a powerhouse. Yeah, I mean, if you're playing an Enchantress deck, I feel like you just you just run this. That's just the end of the conversation. If, you, if your deck is based around putting auras on a body and, and you're in white, which you usually are, I would just think you're just going to run this and that's the end of the conversation. Yeah, you definitely... Dana talks about this, but there's some cards that are just older than most players and they just don't know that this card exists. And he even mentioned he didn't know this card existed until a dual deck came out recently. So... I mean, it's an old card and, you know, yes, it's only in 3,000 decks or so, but that number is surely going to rise up just with it being on theme with something that's going to be very popular. And you look at the top commanders, you have Bruna, who's a great Enchantress deck, uh, Ural the Mistalker, Xur the Enchanter, then Sigarda, Host of Herons, uh, four very, very good, you know, enchantment heavy decks. Yeah, definitely really exciting. And Matt, I'm so glad that we got a preview card that matches up so well with some of your favorite types of cards, five mana wraths, those things that give you a little extra value as opposed to just playing four mana for the Wrath of God or Day of Judgment. That one extra mana can sometimes give you a whole bunch of punch. Oh, yeah. Well, like you said, it, it can end up being a plague wind in a lot of a, in a lot of situations. You know, say you have a, a Rafik of the Men in, you just slap that ethereal armor on him blow up the world and you know go to town like it's it's fantastic i i love this card i think it's going to be great in the enchantress deck you know you play your commander out maybe play another couple other dudes enchant them up and then you know wipe the board and and just proceed with your game plan it's great i i love five mana wrath i think this one is going to fit in very well well and, and this one even has the can't be regenerated clause built into it just like wrath of god <clears throat> so essentially you know it is literally wrath of god for one additional mana, however, you get to keep your creature. Sometimes you can debate whether or not the extra mana on a five mana board wipe over Wrath of God is worth the one. In this case, in your enchantment deck, 
where it also has the can't be regenerated clause, same as Wrath of God. I mean, it's that one mana gets you so much. I just don't even, you can't even have the conversation. I don't think. I mean, I think it's just that great in that deck. Yeah, it's not even a five mana day of judgment with upside. It's a five mana right. wrath with right. upside. Yes. And one other thing that I think is kind of cool, if we take a look at EDH Rec, where it says the top cards by type, this is another really neat feature of the site. If you go to the top enchantments of all time, a lot of those enchantments, they ain't auras. You've got a lot of really cool stuff like Phyrexian Arena and Mirari's Wake and Myst- uh, excuse me, Ristic Study, Sylvan Library, Aura Shards. You've got a whole bunch of really awesome enchantments. But it's not until you get to Animate Dead, which is like, what, 18th on the page or so, till you finally hit an actual aura. So we don't tend to run into opponents who are running a lot of auras in their deck is basically the gist of what I'm getting from the data that we see here on EDHREC. So this is not usually going to leave most of your opponent's creatures alive because there's not usually too many incidental auras on the battlefield. This isn't like it says destroy all creatures that aren't equipped or something. And like with equipment, you're just going to accidentally see something wearing swords across the battlefield or something wearing greaves or whatever. In this case, unless you're playing another Enchantress deck, odds are really good you're just not going to see another aura in the game. Yeah, I think people kind of tend to shy away from auras just because they don't want to get that two for one or three for one. They don't want to put a bunch of enchantments on one creature. I think this, you know, cards like this, cards like Winds of Wrath are going to encourage people to to maybe give that a second thought. Reconsider, you know, I want to put some enchantments on there and then I'm going to get the the three for one, the four for one, the the 15 for one. If you're playing in a four player game, you know, you can destroy a lot of creatures and then leave your own guy back. Uh, you know, say you do this the the turn after you play your your creature who has the enchantment on there, he's not going to have summoning sickness anymore. You can start attacking right away. Yeah, definitely a really fun card. I'm really excited to see more cards coming out for all of these decks, especially the Enchantress one. And Dana, we're looking forward to your podcast as well. Matt and I are we're waiting in suspense to see what your preview card will be on CMDR Central. So definitely really looking forward to Spoiler Week. And I'm really glad that we were able to share this preview card with all of our listeners. Sounds really, really awesome. Bated breath, Dana, bated breath. I'm excited to share it, and I'm glad that actually I'm really glad that it kind of ties in with this one as well. So I'm glad we got one from a similar theme deck, and it's going to be re- revealed the same day as this one. Maybe I guess it's a matter of who listens to which podcast first. So I'm I'm really really thrilled to do this as well. Well, you control our you control the Libsyn account, so you can make sure that you, <laughs> you can make sure this one goes out first. So I will make I'm, sure they go at the exact same time. How's that? Oh, okay, that's that's fair. No favoritism. Awesome. So there's one last thing that we want to discuss before we move on to the main topic of our show, which will be our review of all of the Commander Precons and probably ranking our favorites therein. But we want to discuss one new feature that Don is bringing to the site, and that is a Precon Upgrades page on EDHREC. Don and Nate Burgess, who is of the Commander Time podcast, they're both designing this really neat feature to help upgrade your Precons. You can select by year, you can select each deck, and then it will show you the most popular commanders from each deck, the most popular cards that are added to each precon most frequently, and the cards that are most frequently cut from each of those precons, which is going to be an excellent tool for new players who have just got a brand new deck and are looking for some pretty basic improvements. I am really excited for this feature to go live. That sounds really awesome. Yeah, I think it'll be super handy, especially just with the timing that they're coming out with it. Nate spent the past you know year or so just going through all the precons, going through all the partner commanders, 
uh, how can we upgrade? How can we, you know, build around? And now he's going to have just a guide. It's going to save him a whole lot of work because he's already done it. Uh, I think it'll be very popular. And I think a lot of players are going to get a lot of use out of this new tool. Well, and, and we'll touch on this as we go forward in the show here, talking about some of the older commander sets. But like, not every deck has a card like Winds of Wrath that just so perfectly fits in the deck that you're just not going to remove it ever. So like sometimes some of those recommendations, some of those cards just need to come out of your deck because they don't go in that particular version of the deck you're playing. And this really is going to help you find those ones. Like, you know, Winds of Wrath is not going to be coming out of your Enchantress deck, but there are some cards that will. And this is going to make that a lot easier figuring out which ones to come out and what to put in their slot. Yeah, exactly. And something that's kind of neat, we've had a small test beta version of this new Precon Upgrades page that they're working on. And we can see just by poking around on this page that, for example, the Draconic Domination pre-constructed deck with the Ur-Dragon, we can see that 48% of those decks have added in the card Teamer Ascendancy, which is a little bit like Elemental Bond, which also comes in that deck, which draws you cards for each of your big dragons, and a bit like Fervor, which gives all of your stuff haste, which is really exciting. We can also see further down that page that 77% of them are cutting the card Curse of Verbosity, which draws you cards when you attack people and is a little political, but not necessarily exactly what that particular deck the Ur Dragon deck wants to do. So you get to see really neat things like that, the things that people are most frequently adding into those decks and the ways that they're tuning them, the ways that they're pruning them, the ways that they're editing these decks, and it's definitely going to be a really nice tool, especially for beginners who have just picked up a brand new product. Yeah, it should it should be a, it should be a big hit. I think it'll be one of the most used tools on the site. And it's, it's something that I'm surprised we haven't done sooner, but I know it also takes a lot of work that I have no expertise in. So props to Don and Nate for, for getting it together and uh, rolling it out here very timely. Yeah. And we're not entirely sure when the actual release of this feature will be, which is why we're being a little hazy, but we're not sure if it's going to be out precisely before this particular episode airs or if it'll still be in the works by the time that this episode airs. But it's definitely something that we can all look forward to. That's for sure. Let's move on now to our main topic, ranking the precons. So this won't precisely be a uh, an episode like our very first episode, which is about the quote precon effect. This is mostly going to be our takes on the previous year's precons and things that we thought about them, observations that we liked, mechanics that we enjoyed or didn't enjoy, commanders that we liked, stuff like that. So you guys ready? Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's start with a quick recap just to jog everyone's memories about the different types of precons. Dana, can you tell us about just a way to remind us of each year's version of precons. Sure. Um, starting in 2011, we had the very first commander precon set, and that was wedges. So it was in wedge colors. We had five different decks, and there was a lot of pretty iconic commanders that came out of there. Um, Edric Flamastra Trest is in there. Um, Gave Guru of Spores, Kali the Vast. The decks didn't necessarily have that coherent of a theme. But it did give us some really strong cards that people still play to this day. Right. And by wedge combinations, you mean things like Sultai and Mardu and Teamer. Yes. So those colors that kind of get along, but don't. They're actually sort of across the color pie from each other. Yeah, the, the cons clans. Right. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That moves us really nicely into Commander 2013. So they didn't have any product in 2012. They sort of waited to see whether Commander was catching on, and it definitely was, so they made the Commander 2013 product, which didn't have wedge combinations, but it had shards, the colors that do get along with each other. So things like Bont and Esper and Grixis, stuff like that. And that's where we saw things like Derevi and Rune, or Olaro, who was for a time the most popular Commander ever, or Jaleva, or Prosh and Merith, all of them. 
Yeah, that that goes back to the to the Alara block color combinations as well. They kind of followed a little bit of a pattern there, sticking with those three colors because you know three colors seems to be very very popular for sure. And it also continue, continued what they did in 2011, where regardless of what you think about the individual decks, there were some seriously iconic commanders released out of that set of five decks. There were some crazy commanders, like you had Prosh, you had Oloro, who was the the most built commander for for a long long time. Then you have stuff Dur- like Derevi. Yeah, yeah. Nekusar. Marif. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nekusar from the Mindseize deck. Yeah, yeah, there's a whole lot of really fun stuff there. Something that was also kind of interesting, there was a bit of a development in 2013 where they started playing with the command zone. So, for example, Derevi can evade commander attacks. It has an ability to put itself into play straight from the command zone. Or Oloro, who gave us our first eminence ability where he's active from the command zone. You also had Prosh and Jaleva and Marith who all have abilities based off of the amount of mana that you spent to cast them, which is relevant because you will probably be paying commander tax on them. So they give you different rewards, and they acknowledge the command zone in some way. So that was another development that we saw in the 2013 product. Well, and they did a couple other things, like Gahiji, uh, the Honored One, kind of encouraged that, that politics and started to play around with those types of effects too when it was getting people to attack other players, you know, giving them that bonus. So they started, you know, really experimenting just because, I mean, 2011 was the first time they did this type of product. And then 2013, they they had a better idea. Commander, it's, you know, as a format itself, was kind of coming into its own a little bit better. Uh, so they, they knew a little bit more about what they could play around with. And some things like, you know, Prosh, Derevi were a little more powerful, a little more powerful than I think they intended, but they still, you know, tried to experiment a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So speaking of experimenting, we also see a lot of that in 2014. Matt, do you want to tell us about the 2014 themed decks? So Commander 2014 featured monocolor planeswalkers. This was the first time that we ever saw anything that said, you know, this planeswalker can be your commander. Um, that's something that's been very popular ever since then. It's kind of been one of those rumors. You know, when is the rules committee, is the rules committee going to let us do this and have every planeswalker be our commander? That's another topic, probably another episode altogether. But uh, we did monocolor for those those pre-constructed decks. We had, you know, mono black, mono white, uh, mono blue, mono red, mono green, Obnixilis, Teferi, uh, Freilis was the green one. And they all had a little bit more of a theme to them than the, the, the years prior. Everything was a little more coherent. Uh, stuff like, you know, Nahiri... Uh, was the mono white planeswalker who had a lot of equipment going on. Uh, like I said, Freilis, mono green, so there's a bunch of elves. Duretti, the mono red, had artifacts going on. Uh, there was just a lot more fleshed out as far as theming of the decks going. The secondary commanders lined up a little bit better with the the way that the, the pre-constructed decks were built. So it was it, this was kind of where you first saw them turn the corner with, you know, fleshed out themes. This was also the first set where they kind of got their Vorthos on when they built it. Like in prior sets, it was for the most part relatively new characters that didn't have any tie to existing lore. They didn't do that this time around. Like Obnix is a character that had came up previously in Zendikar. Teferi obviously is a re- really important lore character. Freilis and Titania. Um, Nahiri was a character who had been hinted at in the past. We didn't even have her name. We just knew there was a, a Lithomancer that worked to make the the headrons in Zendikar. Um, and we knew Johnny Goldman had a brother, but I don't think we knew Giselle Goldman had a name at that time. So this was the year they first started to take advantage of the fact that they were making a bunch of legendary creatures and they could actually use ones that had been referenced in the past that didn't have a good slot elsewhere to actually make them into a card. Don't forget about Felden being a sad boy. 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> Dana, I'm so happy that you mentioned that because I love the Vorthos flavor that happens starting with this product. It's so cool. And yeah, Felden is actually one of my favorite cards. Felden of the Third Path, his flavor text is one of the most haunting and beautiful depressing. in all of the game. I'm totally nerding about it. It's you you awesome. mean depressing. It was so sad when you first read it. You're just, oh. I love pieces of flavor text like that, where the card is kind of like, wait, what does this do? But as soon as you read the flavor text, it just rips your soul in half and perfectly explains the mechanics of the card. It's so much fun. But yeah, starting from this point, we definitely see that they'll use these products as a way of creating cards for characters that we haven't seen before, which is definitely a great way for hole filling. So, so Joey, since since you're all about the the sad flavor text and everything, did you think Blessed Spirits was just the greatest card ever with the the, the dead kids floating around? That, that one doesn't hit me as hard as Felden of the Third Path, actually, which probably doesn't say good things about me as a person. <laughs> Felden breaks my heart, Blessed Spirits. I'm like, eh, it's a white card. I don't play white very much. <laughs> that's that's true. Felden was such an old throwback, too. Like, that was Felden's cane was, man, was that Antiquities? It, it was, that was Antiquities, yeah, man. I mean, so that's like throwing back, you know, 20-some years. They're, they're digging deep into the history, too. They're not afraid to go for the really... Um, the, the deep cuts on lore, which I love. Well, yeah, and like you had Titanian Fraelis that were around for forever, but they never had their own cards, you know, yeah. ever since, I mean, when they first showed up too. Yeah, it's definitely a thing that I'm happy to see them continuing. And speaking of Commander 2014 with all of the Planeswalkers, that's been something that, I mean, I'm willing to bet at this point, but I guess it isn't technically confirmed at this time of recording. But it seems as though we've had a hint that there will be Planeswalkers as commanders for these upcoming 2018 decks as well. Yeah, purely speculation. We, we do need to make sure everybody knows that the only thing we knew about the set was our preview card, which is awesome. But we, we we're speculating now. Speaking of our preview card, actually, I think that there was one more piece of this, and this is awkward to bring up much later. But we do have to clarify that we were in no way paid for the preview card or something like that. Isn't that true? That's very yes, true. Yeah. Okay, we, so we weren't paid disclaimer. in black lotuses that wizards can print <laughs> in their back garage or anything. Yeah, for legal reasons, I suppose, we have to state that. And we definitely should have been more forthcoming. At least we remembered it, though. Uh, but yeah, the Planeswalkers is definitely something that I think is really interesting. And especially just basing off of some of the art that we've received from 2018, just the way that it's laid out, like they definitely seem like art that is fit more towards a Planeswalker frame than it is for a regular Magic card frame. So I feel pretty confident in saying that we're definitely getting some cool Planeswalkers for these, such as uh, I think we've seen the art for, I want to say the Panther guy is Lord Windgrace, who's really interesting to me, or a really creepy girl drawn by Seth McKinnon, who is in a swamp and is terrifying. Stuff like that. I do like wow. Seth McKinnon's art. I, I have a lot of his Theros token or soldier tokens from, uh, from that Theros block. I, I like his art. Right. So all of this is speculation, but frankly, by the time that this episode comes out, people already know. So maybe we'll sound like complete fools. Right. Who knows? <laughs> we do already. Let's, we, that's not hard. That ship has oh, sailed. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Definitely a very foolhardy podcast for sure. Let's move from 2014 on to 2015. This was the enemy color experience commanders. So we had, for example, Marin of Clan Neltoth or Mizzix of the Ismagnus, Daxos the Returned, we also had one of my least favorite commanders in the world, which is Izuri, the flaw of progress to my mind. But this was still a really neat commander product for the enemy colors, which don't at forget that our time Boros. Especially, don't forget our Boros, ladies. Oh, it's easy to forget our Boros, Lady Kalemni. Uh, 
But yeah, at that time, we especially didn't have a whole ton of enemy colored commanders. We definitely had a lot more of the allied colors. So I really enjoyed the 2015 product because it gave us more stuff to do in the enemy color pairs like green and black or red and blue. You just like it because it gave you Marin, and that's just your favorite deck. We, we see through your front, Joey. <laughs> I do love me some necromancy. That is definitely true. What did you guys think of 2015? I think I, I am not a fan of experience um, as a mechanic. I think they couldn't figure out how to do it right either. It either wound up being irrelevant or too strong. But I do like the decks. In theory, I think Masrix is a really cool commander. And despite the fact that I think Marin is probably a little bit too strong, um, I think Marin's a really cool commander as well. I think the Seize Control deck with Arjun and Mizzix is pretty great. I think they're all pretty great with the exception of the Boros deck, which is, you know, what you would expect from a Boros deck. Yeah, I do. You heard my thoughts on that particular matter as well. To my mind, Azuri <laughs> and Kalemni, I think that they were flip flopped. I don't think that they got the right experience triggers, but you know, that's neither here nor there. They, they tried really hard. I, I think they, they just didn't balance it very well. That, that was the issue because we talk about Marin and Mizzix. They're two of the most played commanders in their color combinations, but they're also just, they can be completely broken. Like Mizzix, we've talked about several times on the podcast. You know, they the Mizzix player untaps with Mizzix still in play, and they just win. Just those, those experience counters got out of hand so quick, whereas like Kalemni, those experience counters never really did anything for you. So I think just the balance was off. That was the, the biggest flaw with this year. But I really liked it. I had an Azuri Claw progress deck for a long time that I had a, a blast playing. It was a little too dependent on Azuri, but I, I still don't think it was a bad deck necessarily. I, I think they tried. This was probably the most experimental they got with any of the pre-con decks, and I, I just think the balance was a little off. Yeah, we definitely see them continuing to experiment in those ways with some stuff around the command zone, whether it was, you know, the amount of mana that you paid for this commander, such as Jaleva and Prosh from 2013, to letting a Planeswalker exist in the command zone, and now to some experience counters, which are a little separate as well. So they're definitely still pushing that envelope, which is something that I really enjoy seeing. I like that experimentation a lot. Yeah, it's it's funny that the most balanced experience-related commander in the set is the one that everybody forgets about in Daxos, because he's probably the only one that actually like was done. Well, he was probably done the best. It was the best balance of you know it, your experience counters matter, but it's not going to overpower everybody. It's not going to just be you know snowballing and get out of hand like Marin can. But everybody forgets about him. One of the things they also kind of added in here in terms of of Vorth, Vorthos effect was. They continued to add lore characters, um, you know, Daxos getting a new version, a new Azuri, etc. But they also now started making their brand new characters very clearly from a specific plane. Like there's, there's no reason to assume where Kalia comes from or where Raikou comes from necessarily. But very clearly in this set, you know exactly where Kaseido comes from or you know exactly where Masaryk comes from. Like they really specified the new characters as being part of an existing plane or existing lore, which was a kind of a nice addition where they've expanded on the ability to do Vorthos stuff, even with the new characters. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. I really enjoy that identity to a deck as well. It just helps ground me a bit more in the story, and that's a really good observation. So let's move from 2015 on to 2016, which is really spicy. Dana, do you want to tell us about Commander 2016? Dana's which has favorite. favorite mechanic, Partners. Yeah, 2016, um, there was uh, five different Atraxa decks released. And, <laughs> and, and people bought those and, and made Atraxa, and I think that's pretty much it. How do you, how do you really feel, Dana? <laughs> I, I don't dislike Atraxa, just based on the sheer amount of Atraxa decks out there. That's what it seems like sometimes. Um, 2016 was the first time we got real deal, true four color legends. 
And in addition to that, we got partner as a mechanic that lets you kind of mix and max, mix and match and make your own four color, three color, two color combination um, as well. So it was the most open ended set probably they've done in terms of the um, different ways you could build your deck. Right. That's definitely a really big undertaking for colors. Like not only do you have to design cards that perfectly encapsulate what the absence of one particular color would be, but then you also have to make sure that you have a playable out of the box mana base that will work with all of those colors. That was a really big bite to take, I guess. And I think they pulled it off pretty darn well. Yeah, it was pretty ambitious, but yeah, the execution, I mean, just by the popularity of all the partners, all the four color commanders, I think it's obvious that they nailed it. You know, Traxa very quickly became the most popular commander on the internet, according to EDH rec. And, you know, you can credit part of that to, you know, red being the least powerful color in commander, whatever you want to say, but just the, the sheer popularity. If you look at the top commanders of all time on EDH rec, most of them are you know, going to have something to do with Commander 2016. Yeah, that's definitely true. I think all four of those pre-constructed decks, the, the Atraxa and uh, Yidris, uh, Kaneos and Tiro, I think everyone except Saskia show up among the top 20 commanders of all time. And even Saskia, I think, is, a, is an interesting and relevant commander, even though she might not be that powerful. She doesn't feel like an afterthought like some of the paths, like maybe Kalemni and Anya did in their deck. She, it feels like a legitimate deck. It's just the least popular of five really popular commanders. Yeah, that, yeah that's definitely not, a really exciting problem. Yeah, it's not that Saskia isn't powerful, because I think if you like turning creatures sideways, Saskia is a great way to go. But it's not playing blue, and everybody loves playing blue in commander. And you have to turn creatures sideways. And, I mean, you're comparing Saskia to four of the other, you know, like we said, top 20 commanders of all time. That's that's. It's really hard to stack up when you have you know that in your peers. Yeah, definitely a really great product. And as we mentioned, there were also those partners, which Dana isn't personally a fan of, but I really enjoy my uh, Rayhan and Ishai deck. That's that's become my baby. I wasn't as interested in Atraxa. I was interested in in uh, going tall with Ishai and putting those counters also with Rayhan and just having the two partners in the command zone. That was really like whoa to me. It wasn't just a planeswalker in the command zone. It wasn't just uh, an Olero sitting there and casually gaining life. It was something else that allowed me to modify my expectations of the format. And so that was a really thing, a really cool thing for me to see, at least. But we've also heard on a previous podcast where we actually had Nate Burgess on the show. Uh, Dana, I know that you've got some thoughts about Partner, too. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't like Partner um, as a mechanic in how it wound up executing um, where there's just, you know, three or four commanders that are generically great, no matter who you pair them with. So... Almost everyone just plays those commanders. However, conceptually, I think it's a fantastic idea. And prior to having seen it, I loved it. I just think the execution wound up being kind of encouraging bland, good stuff builds. But that's neither here nor there. I think conceptually, it was a great idea. And I'm glad they tried that kind of thing. Even if I can't stand the end result in this particular case, I love them taking wild shots like that. Yeah, and it served as the uh, the inspiration for the Battle Bond partner commanders as well, which are also really awesome. And which I do like a lot. That's that's a version of the mechanic I like the most. So yeah, I, I'm a I'm a fan of what they tried to do. Yeah, and one kind of like what Dana said, the the partners they kind of devolved, and that's not Wizards' fault at all. It's just the player base how they ended up brewing. It became just generic good stuff decks. It's kind of the antithesis of what's happening this year in 2018, where we're getting you know commanders 
on color that are very tied to the theme that we've been wanting. So we don't have to use those, you know, just generic good stuff partners or commanders that don't really fit the theme. Like it's very much the opposite of what they're doing this year with very focused uh, themes, you know, from the commanders. Right. And even if the partners were maybe a little, you know, when they were built, they kind of aired more towards uh, generic good stuff style decks. Uh, the actual original four color commanders themselves, like uh, Yidris and, and Brea, I think that those were really nicely focused as well. You've got awesome artifact stuff, which is still open-ended with Brea. Or you've got Yidris, who can be as chaotic as you want to and is randomly flipping you into new spells. And you've got Atraxa, who has infinity directions to go, but certainly gives you a, a really nice solid foundation of asking for counters, whether you want to use that with charge counters or plus one counters or loyalty counters with planeswalkers. Like They still really did an excellent job with those four-color commanders, even if the partners had sort of an accident of winding up into those... Uh, quote, good stuff style decks. Yeah, I think it's easy for us to focus on, you know, the partners and, and nitpicking, but we really are nitpicking. Like you look at, like we said, the the top played commanders, four of these are near the top. Like it just shows how just good and popular and powerful all these guys were. And not just in a specific sense, but you could do a lot of different things. That means a lot of different people with a lot of different play styles that they prefer you know, they can build this commander and it comes out very differently. We talk about the pre-con effect with Atraxa, how, you know, you see some Planeswalker themes, you see some token themes, you see some plus one plus one counter themes. You know, a lot of people have been building a lot of different decks, a lot of different ways. And Commander 2017 is kind of the the pinnacle of that theme, of that deck building process, I guess. You mean Commander 2016. 2016. You did mention 2017. So how about oh. you tell us about Commander 2017, moving on to the next year? So 2017, last year, was probably my favorite. Actually, when it comes to pre-cons, it was all about tribal decks. So they, they got away from the five decks. They just did four, but they did Feline Ferocity, which is all about the cat tribal deck. Draconic Domination, which you talked about, which had the Ur-Dragon and five-color dragons. Had Arcane Wizardry with the Grixis Wizards. And then Vampiric Bloodlust with... Daddy Markov and his vampire uh, vampire crew. But this, yeah, like I said, this was probably my favorite. This was the one that I have the most experience with, too, because a couple of my buddies, we all got together. Uh, all four of us bought one of the uh, one of the pre-con decks and evolved those decks and did kind of a league where we changed a couple cards after every game, and it was super fun. One of the things I think that's worth pointing out out of 2017 is they also did another kind of Vorthos thing here. Well, I mean, maybe you could call it that, but like this was the first time where the commander product really tied in to a degree with standard. We had the feline ferocity deck that was cat based, but we actually got some relevant cats in Amonkhet right before this came out. And then the vampire deck really tied in nicely with Ixalan that came out right afterward that was very vampire heavy. And then six months later, when Dominaria was released, it was a really heavy wizard based set and there was you know arcane wizardry is one of the decks and then core 19 which just came out was very heavy on dragons and the fourth deck was dragon based so we had four decks here that also were linked in with standard in a way that they've never done in the past yeah i absolutely loved that was my particular favorite thing about 2017 was that you had so much extra foundational help from a regular standard product with especially Ixalan having all of those amazing new tribal cards like a uh, Vanquisher's Banner. Like there was just a whole bunch of extra support and that made this particular series of decks really, really exciting. I was also impressed to see that they had stopped going with the usual five decks, that they had actually pared it down to four, which actually feels 
a bit more correct for me, I guess. They're not necessarily strictly bound to one cycle, like, oh, we have to do all of the shards or all of the wedges or all of the enemy color pairings or one for each color. They're like, no, we can take our time and build decks. We can spend more of our focus on actually perfecting what those decks need to do as opposed to adhering to a specific cycle for the sake of that cycle. And I mean, I love cycles of decks. I absolutely love seeing cycles of cards. Those are really exciting, but it's nice to see that they can shirk some restraints to make sure that they create a more perfect product as well. Well, and they wanted them all to coexist a little bit better too. You know, you could sit down in a four-player game and play all the decks together and, and you know, it had a uh, an experience that everybody could share and, you know, nobody was going to blow you know anybody else out of the water. Uh, it was going to be, you know, a, a fairly controlled experience. And I think that went over super well. And like I said, obviously I'm a little biased because I, I did it myself. But, you know, you look at all those four-player pods, you know, they want people to be able to walk in, you know, grab these off the shelf, sit down, you know, unpack them, sleeve them, and just jam games. And I think this is a, a really good start to being able to do that. This is also where we saw the Eminence ability, which had abilities from your command zone affecting the game before you actually even cast your commander. A bit like we saw with Olero, who gains you life casually while he's just sitting there laid back in his chair in the command zone. What did you guys think of that particular ability? I... I don't like things that you can't interact with. And I think it also had a little bit of the same problem with experience where it was either really, really strong or kind of irrelevant. I was a big fan of it. I thought it was really well done. I thought the secondary commanders were a little underwhelming, but that's just me personally. I know, you know, Ramos, the dragon engine, he was a secondary commander in the dragons deck. Uh, but that, you know, has, has done very well, very popular. I can't really say that because Mary Weatherlight Duelist is probably one of my favorite green-white commanders. I was just going to say, yeah. how could you say that you didn't like the secondary or the tertiary commanders I when think, you love Mary? Well, I just think of the the Wizards precon and just nothing about that interested me. I'm just not a Grixis player, though. Several of my friends that I did this with, they probably were about ready to fight over, actually, who got to play the Wizards deck because they just love that color combination. So, But yeah, I just think about that. But Mary, yeah, Mary was fantastic. But then like you had Lysia and Mathis who... I've been crushed by Mathis several times, like we talked about when Andrew Cummings came on the podcast. So I just don't like mm. Mathis, you know, personally. <laughs> but yeah, I, I liked Eminence, actually. I thought it was fairly well done. Arabo just comes out of nowhere. Like if you were playing, you know, the, the pre-cons as is, Arabo just comes out of nowhere and you just lose. And that was just crazy because green-white, you know, you probably drew cards better than every other deck, you know, somehow just with Harmonize and some of those different draw effects. I had a really good time with Commander 2017, and I hope that, you know, what they did really well with Commander 2017 carries over to to this year as well. I and know that when Eminence, when I first saw it and like, oh, these commanders are doing things from the command zone, I my, my first instinct was like, eh, I don't think I like this at all. But then I realized, and I think I've mentioned this on a previous podcast, actually, that I have a Crufix God of Horizons deck who's also kind of just as uninteractive. He's an indestructible enchantment who almost never becomes a creature, so he's impossible to play path or swords on. Like, one of the only ways that you can remove him is by exiling him or chaos warping or something, which is not something that every deck has access to. And that sort of functions like an uninteractable, a bit like an emblem on the game as well. So once I realized that I was kind of being a hypocrite for not liking the Eminence ability, even though I had a fairly non-interactive commander deck already... Like I, I started to ease up on it, and quickly the Edgar Markov deck actually became one of my favorites as well. So yeah, they were definitely fun. So those were just all of the Commander pre-cons that we've seen, and we don't know anything really about the 2018 product, so we won't be ranking or reviewing that one. 
But I've got a question for you guys now. What was your favorite year of Commander products? Mm. Um, I think my favorite year was probably 2017. I like Tribal. Um, I, I only have one Tribal deck at the moment, although I'm building a Lathwest Dragon Tribal deck. But I, but I liked the cohesiveness. I really liked I liked Ixalan, unlike a lot of people. And I liked how it tied in so nicely with Ixalan. I like how the subsequent sets, like I mentioned, kind of fed those individual tribes as well. It just felt like the most complete commander product they've released. Also, it felt the most polished. So I, th- I think that's my favorite set for that reason. Matt, how about you? I, I want to agree with Dana, but taking my my personal bias out of the way, I, I do think 2017 was a really good year. Part of me wants to pick 2015 just because of how tilted it makes Joey talking about Azuri. But <laughs> hey, uh, hey, hey. <laughs> It's really hard to argue against 2016, just with how popular and, and just what it did for the format in general. Uh, it just added so much. Man, this is a really tough one. And I've been thinking about it <laughs> on and off all day. I, I think the monocolor, I think, was what really drew me into Com- Commander as a format, though, 2014. I might have to go with that just because of what we, you know, what we talked about already. You know, you had the Planeswalkers as commanders. It did some really cool things with that. It's led to, you know, probably one of the biggest things that people have been asking the rules committee about is having Planeswalkers as 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 your commander. And there's just a lot of flavor to it. I really enjoyed the Nahiri deck. I liked playing that out. Um, so I might have to go with 2014, but just by a hair over uh, 2016 and 2017. Yeah, it's a tough call for me as well, actually. And I know that you give me a hard time because Joey hates his blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but it's actually my favorite commander products are a tie between the two color 2015 experience commanders and the four color 2016 commanders. I'm, I'm really torn. I think the four color decks might win out, but the two color decks are, I think, very quintessential. The, the reason that they don't quite win out is probably my whole Izuri and Kalemni problem. And for those who haven't heard the cast before, my particular issue with Azuri is that I think that his particular I gain experience when you have tiny creatures enter the battlefield, I think that that should be flipped to red-white. That feels more like a red-white thing. And Kalemni's trigger of playing big creatures should be the green-blue thing. That's not the point. Aside from that, though, the two color decks perfectly encapsulated what those enemy color pairs do. So, for example, the Daxos deck, there was finally a black-white enchantment guy, but there was also Karlov of the Ghost Council, who was amazing Orzhov life gain, and I loved that. Or, I mean, we had Mazarek and Marin who love sacrifice and death. And I'm like, that's perfect. And then you had Mizzix too. Like those commanders, I think, really hit the nail on the head with what those particular color pairs like doing, which is kind of what made our disappointment, but Azuri Kalimni, whatever. That's, I, I really like the design of those decks a whole lot, but I'm probably going to have to still give it to 2016 as much as I love me some Marin. I love that, you know, those, those quintessential enemy pairs, but the 2016 commanders themselves are just... Those are just impressively done. I think they did one of the most admirable design jobs among all of their design to come up with commanders that solidly captured the idea of lacking one particular style of mana. Whether it's Yidris, who had, doesn't have white and therefore is entirely chaotic, or Kaneos and Tiro, who doesn't have black and therefore is very selfless and has group hug, or Brea, who doesn't have green and therefore is all about artifice and turning yourself into whatever you'd like to be as opposed to green's adherence to destiny like it was just very very creatively done so i'm i'm probably gonna have to give it to the four colored decks of 2016 i think those went out as my favorite in case you haven't listened to the podcast before joey is also the only person on the cast here that has been preparing his next great designer search application already Uh, (laughs) (laughs) regardless like they were still super fun and whether or not i like 
just like it's clear that those commanders especially have been very popular and i don't think it's for no reason like they're just exciting it's fun to see not just that Atraxa has so many abilities, but also that she's a very slow and steady and doesn't have the red of the quick and the speedy. Like, it's just, yeah, those are just really well done. So, yeah, it's, it is it is a close call for me with the four color or the two color. But I, I do think that the two color, they, they just barely lose out to those four colors because, man, they did some really inventive work there. Now, moving on, though, we can't just talk about the decks that we really liked. Let's also talk about maybe the series of decks that we didn't like so much. So, Dana, was there a particular Commander Precon set that you didn't enjoy as much? What was your least favorite? Man, my least favorite is probably 2011, just because it's the most all over the place, it's the most scattered. But I also kind of... Or- originals, really? Yeah, but I kind of want to give it a pass, too, because it is the originals. Like, that's there's a pretty steep learning curve, and the fact that they made it good at all with any decent commanders in there is kind of a miracle. So if I give that one like a first-timer's pass, I would probably have to go with the monocolor um, in 2014. I think just by being monocolored, you're so, so limited. And I think some of those decks aren't are genuinely not very good. I think Sworn of Darkness, the mono black deck, really doesn't give you a lot of things to work with. And I think the mono white deck... You know, I think Nahiri's and I was glad to see her get a card and Giselle Goldmane is really good in Arabo, but I think those are those are bad decks. And I don't know if the green deck, at least as it's designed, is that good either. Um Toretti's solid and obviously Teferi's busted in <laughs> CEDH, but I think mm-hmm. I think by virtue I think they were being really careful because they had never done Planeswalkers as commanders. So I think between being cautious and making them monocolor, I think we got probably I would say maybe the three weakest decks we've had in those in those three mono decks. So that's probably my least favorite because I think the power level is way down. And I think a lot of those cards don't work well in other decks. I mean, maybe you would run Duretti in your in your blue red artifacts deck, and you know I've I play Titania in a landfall deck, but I think a lot of those commanders and legends don't work that great in other decks either. So. It's it's the most limited, I think, probably of the sets in what it can do. So that's why I uh, like that one the least. I, I'm kind of on board with you. The The 2014 monocolor decks are actually pretty close to the bottom for me as well. Although I got to admit, I do love me some Titania. I love lands. I love death. I love land death. I'm really looking forward to the Jund lands commander primarily because of cards like Titania and Gitrog Monster. So those are exciting, but the rest of them... Yeah, they were a little hit or miss for me. The ones that were a big miss for me, though, like the what I'd probably rank as my least favorite of the the whole Commander series, those are the Shard Commanders from 2013. You've got like a Derevi and Jaleva and Prosh. Those ones really missed the mark for me because while they were experimenting with what you can do with the command zone, such as Derevi sneaking straight into play or Prosh and Jaleva saying, oh, if you paid this much mana for me, the Commander tax does some extra effects. That just wasn't, it didn't quite tickle my... My, my funny bone, I guess. I'm not really sure how to say it. it. It wasn't as engaging as some of the other experiments they've done with the command zone, such as putting planeswalkers there or having partners or even eminence, frankly. I think that they, while Olero did show up in that 2013 deck, it was still a little, I gave it the, kind of the side eye and I think they did some admirable work with it in 2017. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I was never inspired by any of the 2013 decks, which is really sad because I, I like a lot of those color combinations, but they just didn't grab me, and since they didn't grab me, that's why I'm just I'm a little less enthused about it. So that's why I've got to put them on the bottom. 
not that they're not bad decks. I mean, they're they're really clearly quite good decks. And Olaro wasn't the most built commander of all time for no reason. But they just never inspired me personally, is all. I think if you took both all all three of those first sets, uh, you know, 2011, 2013, 2014, and you gave them to one of the designers today, they would do a pass on those and make them into much more interesting decks. I think a lot of that was just a result of an experience um, in making a commander product. Like if you look at 2016 or 2017, I think those those decks are so well designed compared to the first three years. So I think it's much more a problem of them just trying to get their feet get their get their footing in terms of making a commander product than anything i think if they did those things again today we'd see much better decks yeah and that's exactly it they were cutting their teeth on these products yep. and it's really nice to see that all of the hard work that they've put in over the years it's really paid off we're getting more and more excited about each of the most recent products like that's really great matt what about you so i i think i'm gonna agree with you joey on on my least favorite 2013 not because like we said, not because of the decks itself, but just the commanders and what they did uh, for a long, long time. Prosh was a really problematic commander. I know just in our EDHREC Slack channel and even here on the podcast, we've kind of talked in the after hours about the tuck rule. I'm a big fan of the tuck rule because for a long time, that was the only way you could deal with stuff like Prosh or Derevi or even Oloro. Like if they ever cast Oloro, that was the only way you could get rid of them and stop them from you know doing some crazy stuff and just winning the game. So I, I, I think just... How, how they executed, you know, the the coming in from the command zone. It was really cool how they experimented with it, but I think it was just, it was very, very much too powerful. I think Marath was probably the only one that wasn't outrageously just incredibly powerful as soon as it started coming down. You know, you, you always talk about Prosh, the competitive EDH crowd with like Food Chain. You have Derevi with Stacks and Stasis type decks. It's just... Yeah, that, something like that, it just it was a little too powerful, especially when the format was as young as it was. You know, five years ago, we had a very, very different format than we do right now, just with the way that they're designing everything. I just don't... Th- I think if those decks, like Dana said, if they came out now, we would have had a, a very, very different result than if, you know, when they originally came out. Um, I think that's just... It left a sour taste in my mouth just because there was just some crazy overpowered stuff that... You know, when the format was as young as it was, there weren't resources around back then on how to help, you know, address some of those problem commanders. Uh, I think it just was too much too soon. I don't miss the tuck rule, but besides that, yeah. And actually, you mentioned Merith might be the only one who wasn't, you know, perfectly crushing people right out the gate. But I mean, Merith is capable of some pretty nasty combos, so you better watch out when you see him across the table. Yeah, he's he's still yeah crazy powerful, just not so much out of the box like some of the other ones were. But I mean, all of them. If you tuned them a little bit, you could do some crazy powerful things with them. Uh, I mean, we talk about Don, you know, the the creator of EDH Rec. He had a Merith deck for a long, long time. And every time he, he saw somebody else post a deck, he'd kind of giggle to himself and message us and be like, man, this person doesn't know what they're doing. They're missing out on this combo, this combo, this combo, this combo. <laughs> so, yeah, like there's just that, that, that year in general, 2013, there was a lot of stuff you could be doing that was just busted for lack of a better term. Alrighty, guys. So beyond just the series of decks in each year, do you have a specific favorite pre-con deck individually? Oh, wow. Hmm. I don't know. Matt, do you have an answer while I try to think of mine here briefly? Oof. I mean, I'm trying to brainstorm too. I think I would have to say the Vampire deck with Edgar Markov just because that's the one I've I've kept around the longest. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm one of those people, you know, I'll have a deck for six months, a year or so, and then I'll take it apart. 
I still have Edgar Markov together. I've actually started tuning it. I've played around with it. I've talked about it several times on the cast. Even I, it's not the all one and two drops. You know, I've still got some some of the big some big hitters, I guess, uh, to top off the curve for multiplayer games. I think I might have to go with the Vampiric Bloodlust from from 2017. That's one of my favorites for sure as well. But I'm a little biased. I've mentioned this story on the cast before. Uh, but that particular deck, I bought it and built it because it's got the card Patron of the Vein in it, which actually features art, which has a friend of mine on it. He actually modeled for the artist Tommy Arnold. So I've actually got a friend in a card in that deck. So I definitely like that one too, but it's not my favorite of all time. I really like Mimeoplasm from the original 2011 product because, I mean, graveyards. That was my first commander deck, so I definitely have an affinity for that one. But my top pre-constructed deck of all time is definitely, as Matt has astutely pointed out, it's got to be Marin of Clan Naltoth. I just love graveyards, and I really think that right out the box, that deck is exquisitely crafted. Like, just the overall construction on that one leaves very little else to be desired. You can do some really busted stuff right out the gate, and man, I just love the graveyards. Yeah, I would agree with that because in looking at it, I, I was thinking back to the, the decks I played as precons in particular, and I played that Marin deck, but I didn't play it with Marin as the commander. I played it with Masaryk as the commander, and Masaryk gets overshadowed because Marin is so, so strong, but Masaryk was a really fun, a really good commander to play in that deck too, and you could get the synergy stuff you could get going by sacrificing a thing that... You know, you had Marin in the deck as well, so I remember having Masaryk as my commander and playing Marin and then being able to recast stuff because of Marin that I would sack with Masaryk. Like, there was just a lot of kind of feedback loops going on in that deck right out of the box without even having to go buy good cards. And it got great with good cards, but even with just the cards that came in it, it played really well. It played really interactively. It made you make decisions. It, it lets you do things and show off your skill as a player even as a default deck. So I remember liking that one a lot just as a default build. So how about some of the commander original keywords and mechanics that we've seen? There were definitely a handful. We had some really neat ones. Are there any particular ones that stand out to you guys as fan favorites? Um, I think a lot of them are a little bit underwhelming just because there's so many kind of bad cards in the cycle. The ones that jump out at me, um, Tempting Offer has some really good cards. Tempest Discovery particularly if people don't know they shouldn't take the tempt is really, really good. <laughs> right. And Temple of Vengeance <laughs> on that cycle, Temple of Vengeance is amazing in some decks. In the Angry Omnath, it's great because it makes you elementals. And if you've got a sack outlet and people don't realize they're elementals or don't aren't doing the math, you just kill the table. Or if you're playing with Perforos or something, I mean, Temple of Vengeance is, is an amazing card. Mm-hmm. Right. So Tempting Offer, that's from the 2013 yeah. product yep. where you get an effect, but then if everyone else also takes the effect, you get an additional copy of that. So Tempt with Discovery, you can get a land, but if someone else takes the deal, they get a land, you'll get an additional land, which is really, really great. I, I definitely have an affinity for those as well. I think one of my favorites might actually be Myriad from 2015. It showed up on some pretty underwhelming cards like a Banshee of the Dread Choir, which says whenever I hit someone, they discard a card, and the Myriad ability copies that creature whenever you attack one player it spreads out to everyone so some of those actual individual creatures weren't necessarily compelling but the card blade of selves the equipment that gives the equipped creature myriad that was really fun to see so i really like that mechanic because it acknowledges the multiplayer nature of our format every time that you attack you get to attack everyone it was like turning any creature into a uh, what is it, Hydra Omnivore, which says whenever it hits someone, it also deals that much damage to everyone. That was just a really neat thing to see. So that's probably my favorite Commander original mechanic from the 2015 series. 
I would also say I like Lieutenant out of 2014 a lot. Lieutenant is an ability. Oh, yeah, those are cool. Where when your commander is in play, the creature that has Lieutenant either gets an ability or grants something to all creatures in play or maybe both. I think a lot of the – I think it hasn't always been used maybe that well, but I think it's just a great concept. And it's the kind of thing I would love to see them, you know, just bring back kind of like they have done with the Magus cycle where usually every year we get a new Magus of some sort. I would like to see a new lieutenant card pop up every year because eventually we're going to get enough good ones that will it'll, – it'll be a more noteworthy mechanic. I think it's a great mechanic that's always been maybe a little bit underwhelming on the creatures it's on. Not on Thunderfoot Bela. That was well, amazing. And the demon's great too. And I, I, actually, as I'm saying that, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I believe the angel was really was, – was pretty solid as well. Um, they gave your commander, I think, vigilance and something else and – um, I think the red one, the red one was the dragon that did. I mean, I think they were actually, now that I say that, they were all not terrible. Yeah, they had some really cool stuff. I think the blue one was a kraken that draws you cards and has hexproof or something. It yeah. becomes a 7-7 seven, seven if you got your commander. Like, it's, they were all had really impressive rates. I was really, yeah, ooh, I wonder if I have to switch mine from Myriad to Lieutenant, actually. I forgot <laughs> how cool that mechanic is. And it's just a great, it's a great mechanic in terms of, like, flavor for the game. Yeah, for sure, since this is the commander format. Matt, do you have a favorite mechanic? Uh, I really enjoyed uh, Join Forces. That was one of my favorites just because of Collective Voyage. Just pay one mana and then let everybody else do all the work for you uh, in my Angry Omnath deck. (laughs) Being able to cast a turn, I think it's turn three Omnath, is pretty crazy. So Collective Voyage, I've I've had so many explosive plays with that. Um, And just the Join Forces in general, just letting other people do all the heavy lifting for you has always been, always been something that I really enjoy. So join forces. That's the one that sort of was a precursor to the assist mechanic from battle bond. That's what let other people pay mana on your behalf for your cards, right? Right. Yeah. So I'll just read collective voyage real quick, just cause it's like, I said, it's one of my favorite cards. Uh, so it's a sorcery for one green and it says join forces. So starting with you, each player may pay any amount of mana each player searches their library for up to X basic land cards, where X is the total amount of mana paid this way, puts them on the battlefield taps, and shuffles their library. So if you have an Amulet of Vigor out and you you know cast this, <laughs> man, you, you get so much mana and everybody else just, they're, they're tempted. So, I mean, really, this should be the tempting offer for people to join forces with you because, I mean, they, they pay a little bit of mana to help themselves out, but then you're the one that's going to use everything right away. And it's... Whoa, it's so good. <laughs> I like the mana charge dragon as well. That's the one that has fire breathing for joint forces. Uh-huh. So if you attack one player, other people can help pump up your creature to deal more damage to that player. That was a really neat one. That was from the 2011, the original product. Yeah, I'd, I would love to see them play around with joint forces a little bit more. Uh, I just think it was a really cool mechanic, especially for early on. Like it was the very first year they did the precons. So you know that if they tried it again, with all the experience they have under their belt now, like they're going to do some really cool stuff with it, I think, if they ever revisited it. But I also really like Undaunted. I think that was another uh, really good mechanic at scaling just to the, to the multiplayer format, uh, you know, making everything cheaper for every, for every opponent in play, uh, I think was something that was really cool to see. And it was also kind of a, a precursor to assist where, you know, players are, are contributing to how much mana you have to pay for things. Uh, Curtain's Call, I can't count the times Oof. that Curtain's Call has just come out of nowhere and and save my bacon. So 
Yeah, curtain calls. That one's excellent. It's six mana, but it's got that undaunted. So for each opponent to cost less, and it destroys any two creatures. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, just get rid of, and it, it doesn't have to be from the same player. Even it's just, hey, I don't want that, and I don't want that. Peace. Yeah, so, it's yeah, so good. They've come up with excellent mechanics in these commander products. I love seeing the way that they experiment in these multiplayer products. They've got some just really cool mechanics. They're so awesome. Yeah, definitely. I I think some of the the mechanics they've come out with. They haven't done well, you know, in the 60 card formats, but that's fine because what they've done for Commander as a format is just great. Alrighty, so let's stop gushing right now about these awesome mechanics, these awesome precons. We've got one last segment, and that's challenging the stats. We've really liked all the stuff we talked about so far, but sometimes we've got to be a little critical about the statistics that we see here on EDH Rec. I'll start off by talking about my challenge the stats this week, and that is the card Wakestone Gargoyle. Specifically, I'm looking at the Arcades the Strategist commander that's just come out. He's a really, really cool new Elder Dragon guy, the Bont 3-5 Flying Vigilance, who gives all of your defender stuff the ability to attack and they use their toughness instead of their power. So your 0-8 can suddenly become an 8-8. Not only that, but every time you play a defender, you draw a card. Arcades does some awesome, awesome stuff. I really like it, but sometimes there are some weird statistics that we see. Right now, 32% of the currently built 113 Arcades decks, according to the website, they're running Wakestone Gargoyle. 32% running Wakestone Gargoyle, and I just don't understand why they're doing that. Wakestone Gargoyle is a white 3-4 for 4 mana defender flying creature. It also says for 2 mana, creatures you control with defender can attack this turn as though they didn't have defender. And I just, like, I, I get the instinct here. I get why people are drawn to this card because Arcades mentions defender and Wakestone Gargoyle would be a nice safeguard in case your commander ever goes away. But he doesn't do what I think people think he do. It's just a little awkward. So you can use Wakestone Gargoyle, the two-mana ability to let your creatures with Defender attack this turn. You would only need that, though, if Arcades is not in play, because Arcades has that naturally. And while it would be nice to have some, like a redundant effect on that, Wakestone Gargoyle doesn't do the Arcades thing where he Doran switches their power toughness. Wakestone Gargoyle will allow you to attack with a bunch of 0-8s and 0-4s, not with a bunch of 8-8s and 4-4s. So Wakestone Gargoyle... 32% in Arcades deck? Nah, it should be zero, because it just doesn't do what you actually want this deck to do. That's my challenge to stats this week. Yeah, it, it isn't a backup plan. It's just a card you run that lets your guys attack and accomplish nothing versus not attacking and accomplishes, accomplishing nothing. So, no, I, that's, a, that's a good call. It looks like it should do the thing that you want it to do, but it doesn't quite. So just because it also mentions defenders doesn't mean that it belongs in the deck. Matt, how about you're challenging the stats? So I also have a new Elder Dragon from M19. I've been really toying around with Favictus Asmati. I, I just the way that it plays out, the way that I've seen some of the decks popping up, it looks super fun. We've we've kind of been gushing about it the last week in the EDH Rex Slack channel. And one thing that I, I noticed about the deck is there's lots of really big things that you can cheat out. That's one thing the deck is certainly not lacking on. But one thing that I, I think is kind of getting overlooked is you having to blow up your own your own stuff. There's a few different token makers like Avengers Endicar, but that's kind of, you know, overplayed in my opinion. Um, but something that I think you guys should be playing, it's only showing up in 10% of the 30 decks out there. So only three decks total are playing Reassembling Skeleton. It's a creature for one and a black. It's just a 1-1 one, one Skeleton Warrior, but it reads... Pay one and a black, return reassembling skeleton from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. 
So it's a free thing that you can target yourself because you have to target yourself or one of your permanents. Uh, so you can just target reassembling skeleton, blow it up, get that free thing out that whatever you want to do that, you know, there's lots of top deck manipulation in the average deck. You know, they're playing lots of like Miri's Guile, Sylvan Library, stuff like that to make sure that you're always hitting whenever Vivictus Asmati attacks. But you're not, they're not really playing a lot of stuff that you want to sacrifice because there's so much value that you're, you know, focused on cheating out. You know, you have to blow something up first. I think reassembling skeleton is something that's really, really good as, you know, it's just as far as it's just sacrifice fodder. You can get rid of it. You're not going to care because you're just going to get it right back the next turn. That's a good point. Vivictus, he chaos warps one thing from everyone, but he doesn't actually shuffle it. He destroys it. So if you've got some nice recurring value that can make sure that you always get something new and fresh and that you don't just sacrifice all of your best permanence while you're shifting everything's stuff on the board. That's a good pick. Definitely a good challenge to stats to make sure that people are playing more stuff to be conscious of their own commander's, you know, quote, drawback on themselves to make sure that they take advantage of, of every possible loophole there. Yeah, like you said, if you have a bunch of good stuff on the board, you're going to be getting rid of some of your own good stuff. This makes sure that you're not getting rid of your best stuff. Nice. I like it a lot. Dana, what's your challenge to stats? Well, since everyone picked Elder Dragons, I decided to go with an Elder Dragon as well. Chromium the Mutable, and in almost 40% of decks that are where Chromium is your commander, they're running Pull From Tomorrow as a draw spell. And for those that, that don't remember, um, Pull From Tomorrow is two blue um, and X, and you draw X cards, then discard A card. So you wind up... The problem here is, for the most part, looking at all the Chromium decks... They aren't doing reanimation stuff. So by running Pull From Tomorrow in a, in a deck where you're already discarding cards to transform Chromium, you have to spend one card in terms of Pull For Tomorrow and you have to discard a card. So you're already losing, you're, you're down two cards on your draw spell that you don't need to be down since you're in colors that already have access to, say, Sphinx's Revelation or, I don't know, every other good draw spell available in blue and black which is all of them. It just It's a card that you don't need to be running in that particular deck unless you're taking advantage of that discard a card and none of the decks I'm looking at are doing so. So I think people are just putting it in their Chromium deck because it's a new card from Amon Cab that's less than a year old and they have it available. And there are so many better draw spells you could be running that aren't forcing you to lose one of the cards you just spent mana to draw. Really? I'm surprised to hear you say that. I, but then again, I guess I'm not looking as carefully at the Chromium decks as you are. But one of the things that I've been seeing with Chromium is that people are really excited to use it as a discard outlet. Chromium can discard cards to turn into a hexproof, unblockable 1-1, one -one, which is a really bizarre but very Vorthos flavorly ability for sure. But the decks that I've seen, they're using him as a discard outlet to get rid of really awesome stuff that they'll later want to reanimate. So Pull From Tomorrow seems like it would be a great fit. And if, and if but you're I doing guess that, it does make sense. That... But I'm seeing a lot of Voltron-esque builds that are also running it with a little or no right, other gotcha. reanimation. And yeah, if, if you're using it for you know a madness kind of deck or using it for uh, an eventual reanimation outlet, then it makes sense. Although I think there's probably still much more efficient ways to get cards in the yard than Pull For Tomorrow. But... A lot of those decks aren't doing that. They're just running it, I think, as a draw spell because they have access to it in their Voltron build. So just as a reminder for plebs like me, what are some of the draw spells that you'd probably recommend over Pull From Tomorrow? I mean, in black, you've got just, you know, straight up four mana draw three cards like Ambition's Cost or, or Ancient Graving. You've got those kind of smaller ones like Read the Bones or Sign and Blood where you just get to draw two cards for two mana. 
Um, you know, blue, you obviously have Sphinx's Rev, which I mentioned, but even though the recurring insight, it's not instant speed, but recurring insight almost always draws you 10 cards over the course of two turns for six mana. I think early on in the podcast, I mentioned overwhelming intellect as a draw spell, which counters a creature spell. <laughs> Yeah. I think that that was either on one of the shows we aired or it might have been one of the practice shows. But regardless, I think there's a ton of draw spells, particularly in black and blue, you can play. And, it, and if you're not intentionally trying to get a card in the yard, Pull From Tomorrow, I don't think, should make the cut. Interesting. All right. I've only ever played Pull From Tomorrow in my Crewfix deck where it does admirable work for sure. But I can also see there's kind of a trap to playing those really, really big spells when sometimes the... The, the tinier spells that draw you just a handful of cards for a really efficient rate, sometimes they can get you there just as well. That's something that we were talking about on last week's cast when we talked about, for example, my pick Painful Truths. The three mana rate there is really, really solid. So right. sometimes the really huge spells, we our eyes get a little bigger than our stomachs. Painful Truths here draws you three for three. That's great. Yeah, it also feels really bad when you invest a ton of mana into a draw X spell and then somebody like spell pierces it and counters it. Whereas if you only spend three mana or four mana, that's not your entire turn. And especially if you're waiting until the end of somebody's turn to cast your X spell, you time walked yourself and, and then you're down a card too. So yeah, I, I, I'm not huge on draw X because people tend to overextend into them and then you, they get blown out a lot easier. You and your counter spells, Matt, lots of lots of fun. Yeah, that's, that's fine. I mean, somebody's got to bring that competitive edge here. Somebody has to be the fun, I like the fun it. police. I love me some counters. Somebody, somebody's somebody's got to be the fun police. Yeah. I, 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 can, <laughs> I can take that role and run with it. That's fine. Awesome. Well, that was our episode here talking about the previous Commander products. One last question for you guys. I know we talked a lot about you know 2011 and 2015, 2017. But are you excited for 2018? Five mana rats. Of course I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really am. I think, I think all the deck concepts seem like things I really want to see. So... By the time this show airs and you're listening, I'm already going to be squeeing in excitement over the decks and we've already seen. Yeah, I'm so excited. I genuinely think that these, especially just knowing the themes, you know, John Lands, Is It Artifacts, Bont Enchantress, even Esper Miracles, like these are things that we've been wanting to see. I have a strong suspicion that these decks are about to blow all of the previous products out of the water. I yeah, hope so. I, I had to upgrade my data plan on my phone just to make sure that I don't overextend myself, just refreshing my <laughs> nice. browser all the time. <laughs> nice and with that i think we're going to leave it there we're going to call this episode to a close and i'd like to thank my co-hosts so much for joining me if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us where can they find you all so you can find me uh, at mathemus 55 on twitter that's m-a-t-h-i-m-u-s-5-5 uh, also give us a shout at edhreccast at gmail.com um, we're looking at doing some uh, some mailbag episodes and or, and some mailbag yeah. articles. So definitely send us an email. We, we've only gotten a couple and we try to mention them at least. But if you guys have some decks you want us to look at and, you know, use the site to help out, you know, we'd love to hear from you guys. Maybe do an article on it. Maybe cover it here on the cast. Uh, just send us an email. You know, we, we, we like hearing from you guys, even if it's telling me that I'm wrong. But I've been wrong before <laughs> yeah. and I will be wrong again. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach and... You can find me on the podcast you're going to listen to right after this, Commander Central, <laughs> to hear what preview card we had on that show. Right after is the right call. Oh, I'm really looking forward to it. 
That sounds like so much fun. I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can follow EDHREC and the EDHREC cast on Facebook and Twitter. We're doing a giveaway when EDHREC gets 5,000 likes and when the EDHREC cast gets 1,000 followers on Twitter. So head on over to those social media platforms and smash those like buttons. You get a chance at a really cool prize. As Matt mentioned, you can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast. And hey, don't forget to go check out that pre-con upgrades feature that Nate and Don have been working on to help spruce up all of those pre-con decks. I'm really looking forward to seeing what the data will be for the 2018 decks on those pages as well. It's going to be a lot of fun. This podcast is posted every week on EDHREC's Community Content Spotlight section, where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDHREC your deck before you wreck your deck. Matt is the talent. No, that okay. First of all, that can't become a hashtag. But more importantly, that <laughs> joke's been on the show for three episodes now, and it's already a hashtag. That means it's good. One person using it is not a hashtag. Yeah, it, it, it it actually is actually. If you if you look at Twitter, <laughs> go to the hashtag. <laughs>